the Televerse podcast from Pop Optic TV. P-O-P-O-P-T-I-Q.com. Comedy, reality, drama, genre, and what's in between. Covering anything that's interesting. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Pop Optics TV podcast. This is Kate Kolzik, TV editor of popoptic.com, and I'm joined this week by friend of the show, uh, returning guest, and all around uh, fabulous person from Life on the Swing set, uh, Eat the Rude cast, and Damn Good podcast, as well as several other things, Mr. Cooper Beckett. Cooper, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And this is, listeners, I hope you appreciate the restraint we're going to show here, because this is the first time that Cooper and I have spoken since we <laughs> had seen, seen, not only seen the, the Hannibal finale, but also heard each other's podcasts about the Hannibal finale. And we have very different opinions. We do. But we're going to we're gonna save that. This is going to be a Hannibal free zone. This is the Hannibal free zone. We'll do our, our level best. Um, instead, I'm going to ask, did you see, because at the top here, we've been doing a little bit of news talk, and I know I should mm. be, like, caring about Trevor Noah's big start, which happened, uh, is happening basically now as we record, um, but instead, I'm just more interested in, did you catch the, the Blood Supermoon yesterday? I did. It was beautiful. It was super cool, yeah. And, uh, it, what was great about it is it came, the, the, the clouds parted just, like, ten minutes before the moon was beginning the uh the eclipse it was wonderful yeah i had a like a pristine view from my driveway so i just went out with like a beer and just hung that's out the <laughs> best way to watch the super moon and the eclipse honestly that, it was that's pretty the sweet. way yeah I kept... uh, can i can i mention something that i Absolutely. just found out yeah Catherine Coulson, the log lady from Twin Peaks, died today. Oh, I'm very sorry to hear that. Yeah. That's an iconic character for a lot a lot of people. Indeed. She was one of the the staunchest supporters of Twin Peaks. She was always on hand for for conventions and everything between the end of the original series and and now there's rumors she shot something for the new series, but we don't know. It's really sad. Yeah. I'm very sorry to hear that. Um well, hopefully, if they were able to film something for the new season, because um, it, it would feel kind of, um, it would just be, it's obviously such a loss to have, you know, this yeah. this cherished cult figure, TV character, a- actress uh, pass away. Um, but it also, if, if hopefully if they did film something, it's something that they can use. I know. Wouldn't quite feel Twin Peaks without uh, without the log lady. Yeah, it's sad. But they'll just have to have the log in there. Just, well, well, I was going to say they could just like, you know, put in her work on that episode of Psych. <laughs> just, <laughs> that's like, very true. Yeah. You know, just like make it work. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. Sorry to hear that. Are you are you very excited? You're super excited about Twin Peaks coming back? Oh, good Lord. I, I don't think I've ever been as excited, more excited about anything in my entire adult life. When that moment when it looked like David Lynch wasn't going to do it and then it might not be as good. Uh, the, I was, um, I was at a wedding when the tweets went out that he was back on board and I, I legitimately sat down and cried. <laughs> wow. This, this show has meant something to me since I, in high school, I watched the whole series and I never connected to a show the way I connected to Twin Peaks. And so to have it, have us actually be in a world where they are currently filming new episodes of Twin Peaks. It's like 
nothing I've ever experienced as a television geek. Hmm. Nothing. Well, I'm very excited for you then. I know I'm looking forward <laughs> Thank you. To, to it. And I'm also looking forward to catching up with some more damn fine podcasts once you guys start that back up. Of course, that for our listeners who are unaware, that's Cooper's podcast uh, about uh, about Twin Peaks that yes. you do with Ophelia and Miko. And, of course, Eat the Rudecast, the same host from Eat the Rudecast, which is Cooper's Hannibal podcast upon which I you've you've allowed me to come and join in on the fun several times. And it's always... allowed. We've we've welcomed. <laughs> Welcome to your contribution. See, to we'll, the show. you say that now. Wait until we're <laughs> doing our next one, which is on the docket, listeners, uh, and I'll let you know when it comes out. But uh, yes, it, it is. It is always. It's always fun talking TV with you, Cooper. And that's why I'm so glad that you were able to join me this week as my co-host. Um, at the end of the podcast, we'll be talking about a show that I just love and which I feel like does not get anywhere near enough respect. It does not. And that's Scrubs. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it is. I think it's an irrational hatred about Zach Braff. Mm-hmm. I think Garden State gained him a lot of goodwill that he immediately uh used up or something. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason not to adore this show if you like sitcoms, if you like uh I mean, really, it's it's wonderful, and I, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that. <laughs> yeah, that's coming at the end, guys. Don't worry. Uh, we, we've touched on Scrubs previously on the podcast, but uh, here and there with like our, our segment when we had uh, doctors come in and talk to us about mm-hmm. medicine on television and you know, the, the more accurate and less accurate uh, representations and stuff. Uh, but, but we've never actually had a you know, lengthy chat about it in any uh, any segment, so I'm I'm really looking forward to that at the end of the podcast. But for now, we've we've got a, a, a full week in TV, um, many of which because we are the Venn diagram of our viewing does not have a lot of overlap. But mm. I think we're going to have some highly entertaining, spirited debates for the shows that do. So let's <laughs> let's let's get right to it. We're going to take a break now, and we'll come back with our week in comedy, and then our week in everything else. We'll be right back after this. This week in comedy, I'm going to talk a bit about the documentary uh, Now finale, Gentle and Soft, the story of the Blue Jean Committee. Uh, You're the Worst, Born Dead, The Mindy Project, which has started up on Hulu. C is for Coward. The Muppets had its premiere as well, and Cooper and I will both talk about that, as well as Drunk History, Spies, Review, Happiness, Pillow Fight, Imaginary Friend. And we'll round things out with Rick and Morty, Look Who's Purging Now. And of course, we led into this segment with the the song that closes out (laughs) that episode. That's going to be fun. Once we get everybody dance, everybody dance. But first, uh, I was torn because, of course, documentary now the finale is all about uh, a fake band, the Blue Jean Committee, and there's some pretty uh, Catalina dreams. There's some pretty entertaining songs in that finale as well. But I felt like we haven't mentioned on the podcast documentary now since its premiere, so I wanted to to mention it again. Um, I thought they ended up the season really well, and this the last two episodes aired back to back, and they're this like. The, the the parody of the behind the scenes like rock documentary and getting the people back together for like uh, in this case it's a the, the band broke up after 
like in the middle of a gig after their first <laughs> album, which was like the first breakthrough album, I should say. Um, and so now, and one guy has made a bajillion dollars off of merchandising rights for the band and the other main guy in what was essentially creatively a duo uh, works at a sausage factory in Chicago. Um, <laughs> and it is delightful. Um, so, so the bringing in, I, I love that they brought in like, you know, Hall from Hall and Oates and Cameron Crowe. Like they, they really, it makes sense that this is their last episode. They went out with all these cameos that were so much fun. Um, yeah, there was, it, it, it was very much in the style of the, what it's parodying as all season has been. But I thought that they, uh, I, I thought they had the right balance of following the form and also having a little fun with it. It doesn't have the twist that something like the Grey Gardens episode had, which was so much fun. Uh, but it still has been a really solid season, and I'm very excited because it's been already been picked up for, I think, a second and third season, at least a second season at IFC. So the, we're getting more documentary now. And I really like the just the different styles that they've been playing with all season. The the Nanook of the North episode they did this earlier this season was also fantastic. So, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's been a fun season with these two. And I, I hope, sorry, these two meaning uh, Fred Armisen and Bill Hader. And, uh, of course, I should mention Seth Meyers as well. But, uh, yeah, I'm very... I'm very much looking forward to what they come up with for next season. Now, have you, are you familiar with documentary now, Cooper? Have you watched any of it? I have not watched any of it, but I've heard a, a lot of good things about it. It sounds very interesting. Well, and I think what's best, one of the best things about it is that each episode, except for the, this two part finale, each episode is um, in the style of a completely different type of documentary. And there mm. are like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, like, you know, 30 minutes with commercials. Um, so that, that is just long enough to to hit the different beats and get out without yeah. really lingering. And so I think that they, they've really approached this, at least in this first season, very intelligently. And it's not going to it's not going to make any of my lists at the end of the year. It's not going to be in my top 20 because there's so much great TV this year. But um, but it, it certainly has been a lot of fun. So I wanted to make sure I m mentioned it here at the top. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm also going to quickly go through You're the Worst, Born Dead, because uh, Cooper, you, this is not a show that you watch. But uh, I wanted to mention it because, again, they're really as in last week's episodes, they're really giving Heather Donahue so much to play, and I'm loving it. Uh, she, I love that she gets this really great introspective moment, then immediately just backs right away from backs right back uh, away from that lesson <laughs> that she might have learned. Um, the Lindsay, you know, looks like she's in for something. I, I'm, I was very not excited um, about you know at the, in the premiere of this season the character of Lindsay. Uh, Cooper, who who has gotten uh, divorced or separated from her husband um, after being terrible, and they're just like they never should have gotten married, mm -hmm. but whatever. Um, and she's lonely, and she doesn't really know how to be by herself, and so she gets him to sleep with her and saves the condom. And I have a feeling that's going to end in uh, a baby. Yeah. Uh, I have a feeling already, you know, just not even not even having watched it. Yeah, and so I was very not excited about that because it's just such a sitcommy thing to do. But mm. what, everything else they've been doing with her um, in the last, in the, you know, that was in the premiere. In, in the next two episodes of the season have been, has been fantastic. So hopefully, I mean, they've they've earned my trust through their fantastic season one and what's been a very solid season two so far. Um, hopefully. That I, I I will feel like chagrined for even having thought that they would do something that straightforward, um, but uh, but 
regardless of where it's going right now, I'm really having a lot of fun with You're the Worst. Um, next up is Mindy Project. C is for Coward. And I wanted to mention this one because, of course, Mindy Project has started up its run on Hulu. This is actually the second episode of the season. But this is the episode where Mindy gives birth. Um, and, and so Mindy and Danny now have their their little adorable baby whose name I did not write down and have since forgotten because I'm a bad TV person. <laughs> um, but I, it felt so much like the regular show. I was surprised by how much that the cast was there because with the budget slashes that I had heard of for this yeah. new season, I figured that they would have to really have a much more pared down cast. But at least it seemed like the gang was all there. So maybe that because it was the birth episode, that's the one where they brought everybody in and it's going to be like a, a bit more um, smaller scope moving forward. But I mean, you know, they had the midwives um, and th that whole, you know, discussion of how she should have the baby and if she should have a C-section and if she should have induced labor and just be knocked out for the whole thing. Um, I thought it was a good discussion putting anytime they, they managed to manipulate Danny into siding with the midwives. It's usually pretty fun. Um, and uh, this was, I thought a really nice, very, very Mindy episode, but, uh, but a lot of fun and uh, a good solid start for them over at Hulu based at least on this episode. Um, but I've been talking a while here and I'm getting sick of the sound of my voice. So let's move on <laughs> to the Muppets premiere, which I talked about last week. Uh, but I would love to hear your thoughts because uh, I feel like everybody I talk to, I can't just, I can't guess what they're going to think about the Muppets because yeah. I'm usually wrong. So what did you well, think about the Muppets? I'm a huge Muppets fan and I am specifically a Muppets fan when they are in movies playing the Muppets not playing other characters. So, like, I don't like The Great Muppet Caper. And of those many movies where it's the Muppets something, like Treasure Island, I really only like the Christmas Carol one. But I was a big fan of the first of the two new Muppet movies. And I like when they sort of push in new directions with stranger humor. I'm a huge fan of Pepe the King Prawn. I know a lot of Muppet purists are not. Um, because he's a late in the game. He was introduced on The Muppets Tonight, that weird sort of variety show reboot of The Muppets. I, I thought this had everything about Muppets that I like. And I love that now we can have the Muppets out in the real world so easily because of digital effects. Yeah, I've been very, um, I, I, I didn't grow up with The Muppet Show and mm. I've seen very little of The Muppet Show. And, uh, and I have a fond, place in my heart for the Muppets just in general, certainly for like Kermit and, you know, and, and his piggy and some of these other characters. But, but in general, I, I have a very fond place in my heart for the Muppets, but it, they aren't sacred to me. Sure. So uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't give anyone a hard time who uh, has that really strong bond with the, of the Muppets with their youth or their childhood or, or any, any number of things and has a very strong connection with exactly what those characters are and what they can't should be and what they shouldn't be and the philosophy of all that stuff. Cause I, I don't have that connection, but I understand that right. other people do. Um, that being said, these feel like the Muppets to me entirely. Yeah. So, so when people are saying, um, which is a common refrain, I'm in the minority. It sounds like we're together in the minority. Group. We are. We're, we're sitting alone at the, the table. Everyone else is looking at us. Yeah. Everybody's saying, oh, they're so mean spirited. And um, it's really it's like they're gross because they're like talking about sex lives and making jokes about bears. I'm like, guys, <laughs> bear jokes are not are nothing <laughs> new yeah. and kids aren't going to get it. So it doesn't matter. 
the the Muppets, you know, everybody I've talked to who who is having this visceral reaction to this show is very much forgetting what the old Muppet show was. You know, if your Muppets were essentially Muppets Take Manhattan and uh, the Muppet movie, then you're going to have a very different view than the, the Muppet show, which started with the the title sex and violence the first episode of the muppet show was sex and violence i mean it's it's always been slightly off color they just could do less back then honestly one of the funniest moments in the entire show is kermit saying my life is a bacon wrapped hell <laughs> and people had a big problem with oh, that line yeah i'm sure but yeah. it's 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 funny because it's surprising and you know what the muppets have been around for so long that you have plenty of classic Muppets. Go watch classic Muppets. If you're going to see a whole new version of the Muppets, they really need to give us a whole new version. They can't just do the variety show again. It'll never work again. It didn't work when they tried to do it in the it 90s. Didn't. Yeah. It got swiftly off the air. Um, and so, yeah. So for me, I just this feels like this feels like the Muppets yeah. to me. And again, I, I'm not trying to diminish anybody else's take on that. Uh, I just, I just don't see it and I don't, it's not my experience. And so, um, like, I guess I have, I got a thing for pigs. I don't, I, that's not like, that's not this terrible, like destroy, destruction of my childhood when they say that. It's like, I don't like the way that they've drawn Denise as basically very similar, but she's got right. like slanty eyes, which me and long eyelashes, which means she's sexy. Well, no, she's she's totally Natalie Dormer. Okay. You put Natalie Dormer next to her. If Natalie Dormer was playing a Muppet pig, that's what she would look like. It would be nice for for me, as far as I'm concerned. It's just they took they're like let's take a similar to Miss Piggy, but more yeah. let's just sexualize her more. So I'm that's not very true. I'm not a fan of that. I don't want my Muppets overtly like sexualized, <laughs> like trying to get the audience to think they're sexy. Um, they can have their sex lives and everything. That's fine. It's just, I, it seems weird to me when you have well, the part of the fun of the Muppets is that theoretically they're children's toys, but, or, or like they're created for like a kid's show kind of aesthetic, but then they're right. actually characters. So that's a little weird to me, but um, everything else um, about it, I'm totally fine with. I thought that the, the, the whole thing with Elizabeth Banks and like flashing back to the memory. I thought that added a nice poignancy to it. It gives them something interesting to talk about. And they're, I'm sure going to lead to a season arc of our Kermit and his piggy going to get back together. And lots of shows do that kind of very predictable. Will they, won't they? So I don't know why this is suddenly something new, but um, you mentioned Pepe and I think he's great. <laughs> I love, I, I love him in, in like what they give him to do here. Yeah. Um, I also enjoy, I don't know his name, but, the, the the creepy looking guy that they made the costume designer. Oh, that's Uncle Deadly. Yes, Uncle Deadly. I enjoy him very much as the costume designer. Yeah, he's he's like old school Muppet Show too. I the, so many of the original Muppet Show Muppets that you hardly ever saw are back for this show. And I like that they're doing that. I like that it has such a deep bench. But I, I'm glad to hear that it's not just me. Because I was, for a while there, I was feeling like my reaction to it was somehow wrong or invalid because I didn't, because they felt like the, it felt like Kermit. It didn't feel like Kermit is now all of a sudden really bitter and angry. And he just felt like Kermit. So um, at least it's, I'm not, 
at the table alone. <laughs> no, <laughs> Thank you, no. Cooper. <laughs> and you know what? what's funny? Uh, this made me think of, there's a video, um, not a video, it's a film that Frank Oz and Jim Henson made right before they were making the Muppet movie, the original Muppet movie. And it was to prove that the Muppets could exist in the real world. So it was just Jim Henson, Frank Oz, and a cameraman went out in the, in the countryside in England with Kermit and Fozzie and Miss Piggy. And they were just going in like they, they hung out in a tree and talked to each other. But the, the best part about it was uh, Kermit telling Fozzie that he's not a real bear. That he's made out of felt <laughs> and, and he doesn't have a real nose because Fozzie's all talking about, you know, well, I'm a bear, so I get to, and then Fozzie says, you know, you're going to hurt me. I'm going to hurt you. You have a stick on your arm. <laughs> and it's so surreal and, and sort of dark and not what you expect from the Muppets. And that's, that's the sense of humor of these two guys who were instrumental in creating the Muppets. And looking at it, I th I think they would get such a kick out of. I, well, I'm I have no idea what Frank Oz thinks because he is still alive. But I think Jim Henson would get such a kick out of this. So should I assume then that you're in for the season? Oh yeah, I'll I'll give it time. Yeah. Okay. Well, I look forward to your thoughts. I'm sure we'll talk about this at a point in the future. But for now, let's move on to our next show, and that is Drunk History. And we don't talk about this every week, but when I saw this week's episode, I was like. Uh, we need to talk about this week, this episode of Drunk History, because it has, it has perhaps my favorite ever segment that I've seen. At least I, I shouldn't, I, I haven't seen that much Drunk History, but I loved Crystal West's uh, Harriet Tubman. I loved her, yes. her storytelling, and Octavia Spencer killed it. Yeah. <laughs> This is what I love about this show is that uh, as long as you take that you may not be getting 100% accurate historical fact, uh, you can learn things you never knew. I had no idea about this Harriet Tubman spy business, and it's wonderful. I vaguely knew about the Roald Dahl one, mm -hmm. and that was also just delightful. I mean, I, I love this show. It is so silly, and we need more silly, I think, on television. <laughs> Yeah, I thought they also did a really good job with the because it's always fun for me to see which actors most uh, effectively re retell the stories. Yes, and uh, and I, I find for me at least the people who play it really really straight are the ones yeah. that I most connect with. So I thought Octavia Spencer is just like she nailed it. She's all business. The yeah. Harry Tillman doesn't have time for anybody's shit uh and she's no nonsense and that's how octavia spencer presents her and it's i think it works really well and uh i, I was actually also impressed with will ferrell because i kind of expected him to ham it up more and there's some of that but i thought for the most part he did play a lot of it pretty straight um and and again there's already so much artifice around it there's already so much over-the-top ridiculousness in the yeah, way you don't need to being... be crazy yeah that that really helps it for me when well, it's also always been when the uh the performer gets the joke so well that they play it you know like when when the um when the person telling the story will start coughing or sneeze and the performer does that too mm -hmm. and is plays it completely straight it's exactly what you're saying it's well, straight playing and knows that their job is not to get the joke who they're selfless enough as right. a comedian to act in the service of somebody else getting the joke 
because that's what it is. It's like where you're not there to be the funny one. You're there to allow the other person, the narrator, to be the funny one. And uh, not everybody has the restraint, I would say, right. for that. Um, but I thought I, I thought all three stories. I, I also really enjoyed Ali Shawkat. I always like seeing Ali Shawkat on my. Oh, TV. she's great. So that was also pretty fun. And like the um, <laughs> the, the 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 limp thing and the like. I, I thought and these... Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh yeah. So she's yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire. Basically, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, these three paired really well together and were certainly quite a bit of fun. So I, I had to mention it because Octavia Spencer as Harry Tubman. Come on. Pretty yeah, fantastic. Very enjoyable. Um, next up, though, is Review, Happiness, Pillow Fight, Imaginary Friend, uh, which I loved. That was fantastic. But I'm very interested to know what you thought, because I believe, is this the only episode this of the Review? the first episode I have ever, ever seen. seen. Yeah. Okay. And honestly, this is the first I have known about it more than just thinking it was actually what the plot described, <laughs> that it is this guy reviewing stuff. And so I thought, well, that's interesting but i really don't have time for that right now so for this to be my first episode with him having just murdered someone and go to prison and it it was a very unique experience i'll tell you that <laughs> well how did it work for you because you guys like is this something you can just watch i'm like well, <laughs> technically each review is a standalone thing and that you you know you're a savvy enough tv viewer i feel like you can handle it um but how did, like, were you lost? Did it work for you at all? Was it just sort of like, I can tell there's a thing here, but I'm not getting it? Like, how did it work? No, it, it's funny. It, it actually played self-contained enough that I was able to not question things. Like, I didn't feel there was a joke I was missing. Mm -hmm. And that's a real interesting testament to the show, that even though it is definitely playing in the serial form you know with the murder and with uh custody issues that i know nothing else about it still managed to tell a story that wouldn't have thrown me off completely which i i found really intriguing you know and actually it reminds me of the first episode of the newsroom i ever watched which was actually the finale of the first season because <laughs> i thought it was the first episode because HBO had packaged them backwards on the HBO app. And so I was really impressed on how they just jumped right in. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sorry. You're, you're not talking to a fan of the newsroom. So uh -huh. it's, to me, it is highly entertaining. It's like, oh, good. So you skipped over all the parts where they were terrible and trying to find their feet. I, um, I will, yeah. I will say I am an unabashed Aaron Sorkin fan. And mm -hmm. uh, he, he, you know, gets me, going like nobody's business <laughs> mm -hmm. no i i just think that's great so i'm glad that you were able to so yeah. i take it you enjoyed this episode then i did i i i've got the it on my to watch list now so Yay. i'm looking forward to reviewing the first i didn't even know it was in its second season yeah yeah so. it's it's such a uh it's such a great show and like I, I love that that you thought it was actually like the show within the show was the show <laughs> yes. that's delightful um <laughs> But um, it, and it just goes to show you how many, how little talked about even a show that in the the TV critic community, the people who like oh, yeah. are that's all we do is just review TV and don't have time for any movies or other interests or anything. Um, it's everybody knows what it is. But even you didn't want to take even a half step into a larger thing. Uh, talking with you, someone who has several TV podcasts and mm -hmm. knows a lot about TV and is incredibly informed. Even that tiny half step widening the bur the, the bubble yeah. um, 
people know about it. So, like, if you just keep expanding that wider, I there, there's a reason so few people are watching shows like this one. Well, and it's funny that it's a Comedy Central show because the exact same thing happened with Broad City. I'd heard vague things about it. But I didn't get intrigued uh, until suddenly, you know, I, I work in the sex education community and suddenly there's talk of a pegging episode of Broad City. And it's like, well, OK, that I should watch. And then I watched it and enjoyed it thoroughly and went back and watched the whole series. And it's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Same thing happened with Amy Schumer. The 12 Angry Men sketch was what drew me in. You've, you've fabulous taste in first episodes, might I say. Because <laughs> that second episode is amazing. And 12 Angry wonderful? Men inside Amy Schumer is also fantastic. Uh, yeah. Uh, but no, so, so what it, it really, for me, it highlights with these shows, with a lot of the best TV, even stuff that has a lot of serialized elements, um, it is very possible if you're willing to just go with it, to go with the show and give it like not feel like, oh, no, I don't understand everything that's happening. I'm not understanding all the nuance and the subtext. You can still have a lot of fun even just diving in with the second to last episode of the second <laughs> season of a show like Review. Well, and now what I would do is go back to the beginning because mm-hmm. I prefer to obviously watch with the serialization. But getting that gateway show is so important. So like if you have a show that you desperately want a friend to watch finding that episode mm-hmm. that changes people's opinions. That's so important. And, you know, it's great that we're going to be talking about two of those episodes from scrubs that I've used over and over to get people into this show. Yep. <laughs> More on that topic later. But I think, <laughs> I think, I think there's a jumping off point here to go to our last show of the week, which is uh, or of comedy, I should say, which is Rick and Morty. Look who's purging now, because for me, uh, I would say like the second, the first season, it started out promising, but for me, at least, it wasn't my type of humor. And mm. uh, I there was too much. Um, the relationship was too abusive for me uh, okay. in, in the first season. Like, I was just like, this is child endangerment. And Rick is drunk and terrible. And Morty's going to get killed. And and they made, they for me, the they, it, they needed to do a little balancing. A little more, like, tonal, like, readjusting. And yeah. by the end, but by the, like, partway to the last third of the first season, it really came together. And then I feel like... Season two of Rick and Morty just kind of took off at a whole new speed, and they've had a really, really strong season. And I would say that follows through all the way to this week's episode, Look Who's Purging Now, which I haven't seen the film, The Purge, but I still had a lot of fun with this episode. You don't need to have seen it for the, I mean, really, (laughs) just the concept alone. And so many movies have done this, and he's right. So many TV shows have done this, and I love that they immediately, on this show, this is a reoccurring thing. It's like, yeah. Uh, this is like things you've seen before. So let's talk about that up front. Mm-hmm. So you can't make the complaint <laughs> that this is just like things we've seen before. And Rick and Morty really shocked me that I liked it mm-hmm. because it's it's right on that edge that I often don't like. And the the um, the short film that basically became Rick and Morty, Justin Roiland's short film uh, about Doc and Marty. Mm-hmm. because Rick and Morty are obviously Doc and Marty from Back to the Future, uh, is really over that line into I'm not into this. It involved a lot of um, forced uh, sexual contact. Yeah. yeah. And it's like I can enjoy that sometimes for a thing, but I'm not going to watch an entire series that's that kind of humor. I was very surprised when I actually sat down and watched a full episode of Rick and Morty that it's 
it's this really intensely human story at the center. And that's got to be Dan Harmon's influence there because he was able to hold together the most batshit episodes of community and still instill them with far more humanity than most comedies ever have. So you've got that humanity and you've got that sheer balls out darkness that Rick and Morty shows. It's a, it's at times just stunning to watch this show. I would also point to you this season. They've done such a good job of balancing um, the different parts of the show. So yes. this week, you know, they've really included Summer a lot more. Uh, they've included the parents a lot more in the adventures. But this week having it, be, you know, and have them again comment on, oh, it's back to Rick and Morty, you know, <laughs> yeah. off on an adventure uh, was really nice. And then we also got to see, you know, the stuff with the dad and with Summer. Um, they gave, basically, they gave the mom the episode off. Yeah, she it's like the 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 actress was on vacation or something like they used to do being comfortable changing up that dynamic not feeling you need to shoehorn everybody in whereas like a couple weeks ago they had like the whole subplot about the marriage counseling <laughs> yes. which is remains one of my favorite things i think the show's ever done but um but but i thought it worked very well and and again like you said this is a show with so much heart you think you know what it's going to this episode is going to do uh it likes to to have that that kernel that nugget at the center and then have this like other stuff going on around it and lots of swearing, lots of, you know, ridiculousness, but they, so you think, you know, this is going to be, and then, then the, the, the helpless victim steals their ride and shoots him in the liver. And like, I enjoy their comfort. For me, the, the reading of the screenplay mm -hmm. was the greatest moment ever because I, I went to film school. I've listened to people read me their screenplays. I've read people my screenplays. And you know what? It's just that awful. No matter how <laughs> good the screenplay is, reading a screenplay to someone is terrible. Not just intended terrible. to be re read. Nope. <laughs> and nope. I wouldn't be surprised if someone wanted to kick me down a flight of lighthouse stairs for reading them a screenplay. I, I really enjoyed the, the, the voice choices as well, the vocal choices. Yes. Of all the guest characters, like, ah, the festival, you know, like, it's just <laughs> such a great approach with all of that. And I also, you know, I, I like the way, you know, the way it culminates and you've got all like the namelessly rich people that they just go slaughter yeah. at the end. And they don't, they're like, no, we're not going to investigate this. We're not going to think about this. We're going to dance in their blood <laughs> because that's how dark we can be when we want. Um, yeah, it was fun. Very much. Well, what wins your week in comedy, Cooper? Well, I think that's it. That's that's the winner of, um, yeah. Yeah. It's been, it, you know, I, I haven't seen a lot of new stuff, but this is a show that just keeps me coming back. And when I'm busy, that's hard to do. Very true. Are you looking forward to the finale then? Or are you kind of dreading it being over, the season being over? Well, yeah, that's the problem with these short series shows that are so wonderful because they're short series, so there's no fat. But you have to wait over a year. Like, I'm still sitting, uh, Ophelia and I sit down and like, when's Broad City coming back? Oh, probably January. With everything? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> shit. Okay, we've got a long time to wait. Yeah. Well, if you need suggestions, don't yeah. our, our listeners can hook you up and you know I can as well. Well, we've also were very disappointed that we just I mean, in, in literally the last few weeks, we blasted through the entire series of Bob's Burgers thus far. <laughs> and now it's like, oh, well, OK, we can't do that. Just one more episode anymore. <laughs> now we got to wait week to week again. 
Like regular humans. Like regular people. What is that? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, you're going to enjoy this week's episode of Bob's Burgers when you get to it. It's like it's a sliding awesome. doors thing where each of the kids imagines how uh, Linda and Bob's uh, courtship would have gone if he hadn't had a mustache when they met. <laughs> It's a it's a whole. I thing. love it. Okay. Yeah, it's fun. Um, but for this week's comment, I enjoyed that episode. I enjoyed many of the episodes of TV that we didn't talk about this week. Um, that we talked to that that I had talked about last week. So, uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine and Blackish had a fantastic, fantastic first episode of the season. I thought it was the second last week, but it turns out they aired it first. Um, all about the N word and who can use it and when, and it's hilarious and fantastic. Um, but uh, Bla- uh, fresh off the boat, same thing. Really enjoyed their episode, but I still I gotta give it. It's the review award goes to review still. Uh, honorable mention to uh, Blackish. Honorable mention to Rick and Morty. But the review award for me still goes to review. So that wraps up our week in comedy. And now we will take a break and we'll come back with our week in everything else. TV says you got them high class blues. Set the caravan to Aruba is not the road that you would choose. A bar stool intellectual with a master's degree in small talk and going to the movies. This week in genre reality and drama, I'm going to preview the upcoming season premiere of Sleepy Hollow, uh, then talk a little bit about The Amazing Race, which had its premiere, uh, the Heroes Reborn premiere, the Masters of Sex finale, full 10 The court. laugh with Heroes Reborn cannot be <laughs> promising. <laughs> um, I'll talk very briefly about Fear the Walking Dead, Cobalt, and uh, you know me, I gotta mention Steven Universe, Catch and Release, and then we'll both actually talk about Doctor Who, The Witch's Familiar. But first up here, I just wanted to mention that I, I have seen the season three premiere of Sleepy Hollow, which which is now on Thursdays on Fox, and um, uh, the the big thing for this episode is Zomgaz haircuts. Um, but I, you know, I thought it was a solid premiere. I, I like that uh, Shannon Sossaman's on the show, and I, I always enjoy her. We also get uh, to see Betty Ro- Betsy Ross, which uh, was a much hyped addition to this season. I'm not really a fan of what they seem to be doing with with her. It just feels too um, history. Re- let's rewrite history, um, but in a really predictable way as opposed to an interesting or new kind of way that's oh so historical figure was secretly a badass female agent spy and she could do like she could beat people up and she also was like super sneaky and let's yeah i mean i get they want to have other they want to basically they want to have somebody to to pair romantically with with ichabod um back in the flashbacks but um they, I feel like they could have done something more interesting there. 
Um, and certainly they could have done something more subtle. I don't know if they would have wanted to. But um, anyways, I look forward to everyone else's thoughts about that. Uh, it's a solid premiere. There's some good stuff in there. It seem, they seem to be recentering a bit more, just a little bit more on the, the Mills sisters relationship, or at least having that as a consistent part of the show rather than bringing the sister in and out randomly. Um, and there are some nice moments between Ichabod and Abby, and that's really all you're looking for in this show. So I think people... Um, who were disenchanted with the second season. Um, most of the elements that people talked about not liking from the second season are gone. Um, those elements that we really enjoyed about the, I shouldn't say we, that I and others, I'm sure not everyone really enjoyed about the first season. Uh, some of them are back and, and recentered on upon the, the big bad thing that they're introducing looks underwhelming but hopefully they'll surprise us. I would really love for Sleepy Hollow to make a turnaround. Um, did, have you seen any Sleepy Hollow? Uh, it was one of those that was ready to go, and then the second season started, and everyone started complaining. So I was like, "Yeah, I don't want to give it my time." Then fair enough. Yeah, I can't. I cannot argue with that. Um, that yeah. is, and again, and honestly, hearing that it's crossing over with Bones makes me so uncomfortable. Ugh. I can't even, you know. There, there are standards for crossovers. There really are. Just like Futurama and Simpsons crossover, while seeming like a good idea, was not. Just like Family Guy and Simpsons crossover, seeming like a good idea. You can't just do that with everything. Simpsons critic crossover works. Yeah, that works. Yes. Yeah. But and, no. and Cougar Town and Scrubs, because mm -hmm. they feel the same. Yeah. No, I just... But, yeah. Yeah, I... Yeah. Why'd you have to remind me that that's a thing that's going to happen, Cooper? I had, I had effectively blocked that out. So you can't convince me to watch it. I'm going to refuse oh. on the, that basis. No, I fa fair enough. There, there are many things to enjoy about Sleepy Hollow, but yeah, I can't, <laughs> I can't really argue that people should watch it, especially people that I know are completionists and will mm. feel like they can't stop. Yeah, I wouldn't it, be able to stop. Yeah, so no, no, we're really also starting up this week, but uh, we won't be doing a preview of uh, Code Black, and then of course the coming up on Sunday uh, this next week is uh, the Affair on Showtime, the Leftovers on HBO, and the Good Wife on CBS. So more shows coming back. Um, well, I'll have thoughts on all on most of those. I think all of those next week on the podcast. But for now, I wanted to mention the Amazing Race, which had its premiere, and the reason I wanted to mention it is because it made me want to mention it and I wasn't actually anticipating that. I was it was encouraging how uh, entertaining it was to have a completely new batch of racers because the last several seasons have had at least one familiar face or somebody you knew from, from another a pre-existing show. Uh, I was really very happy to have this uh premiere, have some interesting challenges, have some a uh, uh, different um different perspectives. I really you know when they when they the show has been often just negative diverse. Um, and some of that's probably because of the CBSness of it, but also just because there's not a diverse range of people that can just be gone for two weeks Very uh, true. that have a job that will allow that flexibility where you can't tell them where you're going or why you need a leave of absence or, you know, like that are physically fit enough to do something like The Amazing Race. There's only a small set of people that can reasonably do the show. So it's not surprising to me that they have a set age range and a set like life experience background kind of thing that they tend to draw from. But one of the things that was most interesting to me in this premiere is when they land in a city that they land in, which I'm Cooper's going to watch this guy. <laughs> so that's why I'm keeping this super vague. Um 
you have uh, many, and it's a city that is known for for several different areas of of its experience, I guess I'll say. But you have many of the teams, m- most of the teams going, oh, it's so beautiful, oh, it's so gorgeous. And you've got one of the teams going, oh, man, look at all the slums. So most of the teams are just looking at the pretty scenery yeah. and kind of glazing over the portion of their vista that is a lot of very poor people. Um, and then and you have one, at least one team who is seeing that experience. And so when you when you're able to bring in different types of teams with different backgrounds, they you get so much more out of of watching them experience these things. Otherwise, it's I love when they talk about how um how it feels to experience when you actually get to see the racers experiencing this amazing once in a lifetime opportunity that they are enmeshed yes. in. And but it's even more interesting when they don't all have the same reaction. Yes. I've I've been a fan of the Amazing Race, um, as surfacey as you can be a fan, long running fan of that and Survivor. I've watched both of them since their inception, and sometimes it's great, and sometimes it just feels like they put together the same cookie cutter cast of vapid people that are going to make the same stupid arguments with each other for for twenty two episodes, and I don't want that. So. Uh, it's it's nice to hear it's got a great uh, opening because I'm looking forward to watching it this season. There's already a couple teams that you're just like, they can just leave. So like that way, <laughs> there's some cannon fodder in there. But I also sure. appreciate the, um, there's a couple teams that I was expecting to be a bit more annoying than they seem to be so far, only one episode in. Um, and that's encouraging. And there's certainly a couple teams that have a bit more self-awareness than mm. that role on the show usually has people who fit into that category um and i'm having to talk around too much stuff so i'm just going to move on i look forward (laughs) to your thoughts when you catch up cooper the next show here is heroes reborn and basically i'm only mentioning this because uh since i recorded our 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 fall preview with friend of the show david Bax last week and we put that out um I am now covering the show weekly at the AV Club, so y'all can go read my thoughts on the premiere over there. Um, I also have thoughts about this upcoming episode, but one of the things I thought was most interesting reading the comments and kind of seeing the reaction to the, this two-part premiere is that the, the the corner of the show that I thought was by far the most interesting is the corner of the show that I saw the most vehement reaction against. So uh, do you mind if I... Talk about spoilers because no, you you are not going to watch. Yeah, I will make it clear. I I gave it two seasons. I loved season one, like everybody. Hmm. Then when nobody ever dies because, I don't know, we don't want to lose the actor or something, and there are no stakes whatsoever, that was it. I, I will never watch that show again. I'm standing by it. So spoil away. Okay. Well, they have this one corner of the show where there's this um, this character, Miko. It's into. I, I'm a little bothered by the fact that the nerdy, like, full of, like, vivacious and energetic kind of enjoying life part of the show is once again a, a nerd from Japan. Uh, I'm like, is, oh. that, is that racially problematic? that it's twice <laughs> in a row um but it, it seems to be specifically connected to hero through um an artifact so i'm okay. going with there's a tie so it's not racist at least for now that's my working theory 
Anyways, um, there's this one uh, character who you meet, who you know nothing about her other than this guy shows up at her, her apartment because he unlocked a level and he's like a pro video gamer and he unlocked a level and there was like this address. So he's like, ah, oh, there's like a secret like hidden ARG thing. I'm going to go to this address. And there's this, this young woman there. Um, and he's like, ah, you're, you're the, oh my God, you're the woman from the game. And she's like, I don't, what are you talking about? And then she, there's a thing in the game that then is in her apartment. And so like when you go in this one room, it's, she opens up this thing that he talked about being in the game and there's this sword. And when she unsheaths it, she like teleports into the video game or something. Huh. Yeah. So she like, she unsheaths the sword and then all of a sudden you're watching a cutscene. <laughs> <laughs> only she's okay. in it and when she she's the sword after you know kicking a bunch of ass uh she materializes in the actual world but sometimes she materializes like where she left and sometimes she materializes across town because she's walked a bunch of distance in the game and certain locations in the game seem to correspond to certain places in tokyo but she's very blank slate character but it also seems like maybe that's something with this like does she actually is she like a robot or something is she like is she a video she, game character has she had her memory erased yeah. is she like what is, is is it her ability does she have a superpower or is it just like the sword does stuff that's a magic sword like for me it's really intriguing other people saw her going to a video so i went she went to the video game my reaction was this is i don't know what i was expecting but it wasn't <laughs> this and that's super exciting and everybody else seems to have watched and gone she went into the video game. No, calling <laughs> bullshit. Um, so I'm kind of enjoying that contrast. We'll okay. see how long it lasts. Uh, well, if it's if it's if it's anything like Heroes in the past, it'll squander all goodwill very very quickly. That is very possible. I can't argue with that <laughs> at all. I'm, and I'm in clearly. I'm in for the duration because now I'm reviewing it. Yeah, so you're locked in. I'm locked in. What have I gotten myself into? Uh, speaking of being locked into something, Masters of Sex had its season finale, uh. and uh, I want to like this one so much. <laughs> like last week, Judy Greer was on it; she was awesome, and uh, Josh Charles is just always wonderful. And so when we have the trouble is that we know that this is a show about Masters and Johnson, and so when they have the character running off to marry Dan Logan instead of. Uh, uh, Bill running after her to stop her at the airport um, and deciding he has to let her go. Like, but I know that they get married. Yeah. Spoilers for real life guys. They get married. Um, <laughs> so I, I, it just, it feels like the show is just really, it's, I don't think it's trying to get this kind of, kind of ill will, but when they set up a, a relationship and they like have Virginia actually be happy for once. And she's, with Josh, he's Dan Logan, but I'm, come on, it's Josh Charles. She's with Josh Charles, and everything is wonderful and amazing and lovely, and, and we really enjoy that character, and he's an interesting person and everything, um, and Bill's being an idiot. Um, but you know that they can't, and then they go off into the sunset together, but you know that it can't end that way, and that they're just going to pull the rug out from under you and piss you off for having invested. Um at least that's that's sort of where I'm at with it. I'm having trouble with it. Yeah. But however, I did really, really like what some of what they did with there's like a couple dream sequences uh, relating back to Bill and his father and his son that I thought really worked well. Um, I really liked what uh, Caitlin Fitzgerald did with Libby scenes in this finale. And 
I'm a little intrigued by a couple of their story threads. I'm not happy that they just dropped Virginia's kids because they didn't have time or something. Uh, that was that felt very odd. But it's been such a disjointed season of Masters of Sex. I can't honestly say that I will be back next season because there's too much TV that's better than this consistently for me to make time for it. So I haven't seen any of season three, but as a sex educator, Masters and Johnson's are very important to me. Mm-hmm. And I've read the book it's based on. And this honestly feels like uh, a TV series that should have been either one season or a mini series because there is plenty in their lives that, that are interesting. And every single thing they make up, which is so much on this show, just feels so much less interesting than the actual true facts. Like last season, um, Ginny's uh, mentor, the the woman dying of cancer, mm-hmm. completely fictional. Yeah, but I really liked that character. I did too. But it, it's it's frustrating when there is a lot of really great stuff from the life mm-hmm. that you don't have to invent as mm-hmm. much. So yeah. it's only inventing for titillation and extra drama, it feels like. And that's frustrating to me. Yeah, this season, one of the things they did, which I thought was very wise, is that they put a note at the beginning or the end, beginning or the end of the first several episodes, at least, specifically commenting that Masters and Johnsons are real historical figures. We made up their kids, though. These are not necessarily their kids. We're going to do some stuff with the kids. We don't want you like these people are their actual children are alive. Oh, interesting. Because they had like, you know, some. They had some drama between the the some of the parents and the the kids and like we we don't want anybody like guys come on we're gonna we're giving you Masters and Johnson there's a book about them that this is based on but like we're not gonna like mess around with their kids that's yeah. that would be a dick move so I like that they at least acknowledge their blurring of, of fact and fiction with that um, mm-hmm. but yeah I agreed what I what I the little I know about Masters and Johnson their actual lives are infinitely more interesting than than yeah. what we've seen in much of this show. And with season two, part of the issue for me was that the first half was one show, and then the yes. second half was a different show, and then this third season, I guess, doesn't have that like break point where that mentor character dies. So it's more consistent in that way, but some, some elements of the show have worked really well, and some just haven't, and I, I wish this show could live up to its potential. Yeah, me too. It's always disappointing when a, such a good concept is squandered. Yeah. Fortunately, not squandering its concept this week is Fear the Walking Dead, Cobalt, uh, the, the penultimate episode of the first season. Um, I'm just going to mention it because I thought they did a really good job in this episode. And um, I am really over torture as an effective narrative device because mm. it's always effective on TV. And if you look at studies and science, that's not how it works in reality, guys. So maybe we could stop pretending that that's what happens. Um, if if, all, if what seems to be all the experts agree, it doesn't actually give you, you know, in, in realities, it doesn't give you reliable information. Why don't we stop telling everyone through our media that it does? Uh, it's terrible, but you got to do it for the truth. Yeah. It's really frustrating. That being said, if you're going to do it, they did it well. They made they turned one of their characters, Cooper, into a war criminal. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, somebody who like you knew he had there had been like he had a a past where he was like in this persecuted group and 
like a lot of really bad st- bad stuff had gone down which is why when the world starts to fall apart he's like I'm ready for th- I know what's going to happen. Like he's, you know, and then what you find out in this episode is, yeah, so we told our daughter about like she wanted to know what happened and why we moved to America and all of the stuff. And we told her about all the horrors that went down that happened and all the pain that was endured. We just didn't tell her what side we were on. So you find out that huh. actually they were the bad guys <laughs> uh, wow. doing the terrible things. Um, and the daughter still doesn't know that, uh, though she probably after finding out her her father flaying skin off of a guy's hand layer by layer uh might be a little in on it uh at this point but uh the show is getting more interesting much more interesting and is actually finally having conversations that everybody else watching the show has known need to happen since the premiere so uh they've really ramped up in the last couple episodes and i'm hoping that it'll have a strong end of the season um steven universe is delightful and fabulous and this episode was really fun catch and release and more people should watch it, so I will continue spending at least a little bit of time every week talking about Steven Universe. Have you heard of Steven Universe, Cooper? I have not even heard of it. I'm looking it up right now. This is a 10-minute animated series in the vein of Adventure Time that okay. is uh, basically the way I describe it to people is if you had a genre series where there, because there are these aliens, the Crystal Gems, who like defend Earth from alien invaders and monsters and stuff, um, and they also have their leader... At one point, Rose Quartz, her half gem, half human son, Steven, is who's like ten, is okay. there, and he's the main character of the story. So in like in a regular genre show, when they're having like apocalypse, got a plan for the big battle talk, and like there's the the t- the ten year old kid who like wanders in and is like pulling their sleeves, asking for like a popsicle. Um, <laughs> He's the main character. So instead of staying at the table and talking about the apocalypse, you go. You, the camera goes over to the fridge to look for popsicles. <laughs> so it's just like, it's great. And the, and the main, the characters are all wonderful. It is like, you got like, you, you got to watch it just for the, the, the fantastic gender dynamics. And there's, there's, there's like, no. there's, there's really, there's a lot of really great stuff with, um, genderqueer characters and with um fusions. i have heard of this specifically what you're saying right now there was an article in my feed earlier probably last week that was talking about that okay yeah. good i will i will watch this and there's there's like 60 episodes or 70 episodes <laughs> in the past year but um because it's only it's only on second season but they're all 10 minutes so I watched like fifty episodes in the course of a weekend. Granted, I was binging, but it like you can get you can watch a lot of it, and it's just delightful. It's just delightful. Um, so Steven Universe added to the list if you're looking for an animated series. And all the listeners out there, I'm just gonna keep talking about it. So every week, hopefully, more people <laughs> will check it out. Let's go to our last show of the week, though, and that's Doctor Who: The Witch is Familiar. Um, and last week I mentioned uh, the premiere. Didn't really talk about it this week. Let's let's talk about it. What did you think, yes. Cooper? Of first, um, this as a, as part two of a two part season premiere, and then specifically just this episode. Did you, how did you feel it paid off the the premiere? Well, I'll say you know Stephen Moffat does not have a great track record with two parter episodes. He generally uh, sets up a lot of really interesting things in episode one, and then proceeds to majorly fuck them up in episode two. Um, but this was a really interesting change for him, I thought. The conversations between Davros and the Doctor, uh, Davos, Davros. 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 Davros is from Game of Thrones. Yes. Right? 
Yes. Okay. Between <laughs> uh, Devers and the Doctor were really great and really intense and interesting. And the performances from both of them, Capaldi has been wonderful since the moment he appeared as eyebrows on the screen. But he he's been given so much to do in these two episodes to play such a variety of, of personalities of the Doctor. And um, the actor playing uh, Devros also was wonderful. And he is the same actor who played him when he showed up in the 10th Doctor's tenure uh, during uh, Russell T. Davis' episode. And he's also fairly bad at two-parters. So, yeah, I, I thought it was wonderful. I'm glad that you really liked it. That's great. Um, I was really annoyed by the end of the first part which I talked mm. a little bit about last week and I definitely wrote about um, because they took this interesting setup. Um, are you going to allow baby Hitler, baby space Hitler to get sure. blown up by landmines or are you going to save him? And, uh, and then, and, and then I, I liked some of what they were doing with Clara. I really liked her presentation in that episode. Um, and then they're like, aha, we've killed everyone. And now we're going to show the doctor holding a gun at a child's face. I wonder yeah. if he'll really, ooh, is he going to get, like, no, guys, he's not. And we all know he's not because he's the doctor and this is Doctor Who. Um, so I was a little, like, I don't believe them that they've destroyed the TARDIS and killed Clara and killed Missy. It, right. it was like anti-stakes for me. Um, so given that, I su surprisingly was entertained much more by this episode than I expected to be. Um, I, I'm not interested in Missy. Uh, I'm not very interested really? in the master in general. Yeah, she doesn't work for me. Um, and that's no fault on Michelle Gomez. That, that's, none of that goes to Michelle Gomez. I'm just really tired of Moffat's crazy, <laughs> flirtatious women in highly structured, tailored jackets, mm -hmm. frequently with uh, somehow big hair. So whether it's all big or just like it's tight, like up, and then there's a poof in the back. Like he's got a look and he's got a type. Uh, yeah. And that's his preferred type of female character. I like that finally Clara actually feels like a person and she yes. isn't that. Uh, she is a different type than that, which is lovely. Um, but I'm just, again, I don't think it's funny when we have Clara, when we have Missy just like randomly murdering people and nobody comments on it. No, and everybody's like, I'm gonna next time, but you know, they're not going to do anything. So it's, like and, and the doctor keeps talking about how Missy is his friend. It's like you're friends with someone who we just watched slaughter like a handful of agents for fun. Mm -hmm. That's not okay. Like li human life, any life should mean more than that. And so the way that the notion of senseless or mindless, not senseless, mindless, uh, casual violence being a comedic punchline on this show um, is one that I really, I really dislike. I vehemently dislike. I can't talk about Hannibal. <laughs> I have similar Han Hannibal finale complaints. Anyways, to be continued yes. in person, Cooper. But um, so I, so I just have, I have issues with, with, with Missy, and that approach to the master character. Um, that being said, I liked a lot of what they gave Missy and Clara this week. Their rapport worked pretty well together. Um, the, the, the climax for me didn't work. Um, and certainly, this is so funny that with Rick and Morty, we talked about how much, like, we both enjoy that they state the stuff that we, like, we all know we've all seen this premise before, right. but we're just going to have fun with it. Just go with us. Whereas in this episode, when the doctor's like, oh, but the real question is, how did I get the tea? And the answer is, 
I'm the doctor. Just accept it. I, that yeah. infuriates me. I'm like, Moffat, fuck you. <laughs> he was Don't- awesome showing up in the in the chair and saying, admit it, you've all had this nightmare. Yeah, that was, that was that. great. Yeah. Um, I also didn't like the whole, aha, but I knew you were going to do that, so I did this. And there was no way anyone could have known that that yeah. was, was going to happen. It's just lazy writing. It, and really, it it would have been it would have been far more dramatic if they had somehow saved the doctor and that had used up several of his regenerations trusting had used that would have been a really dramatic story arc and i i agree moffat rarely sticks the landing also mm-hmm. you know just in general rarely sticks the landing and the issue i had with this was the daleks are behaving differently than they ever have just like the angels behave differently every time they show up, despite being written by one writer. Yeah. You know, why Why do we need to keep changing the rules on how this works? Why couldn't um, Clara just be unable to speak inside the Dalek? Why did it have to interpret her as being in- exterminate? It, it seemed arbitrary and unnecessary. And while I like that, it showed us that the master was still just like, yeah, well, you know, maybe I'll kill her, you know, because that that's that is what I that's what I expect from the master. Yeah. But the reason for it and the reason for her, the mercy thing didn't make sense. Haven't they said that before? I swear I they've like, said mercy before. I feel like possibly in the... um I feel like as as recently as last season, when that episode where they're inside the crazy Dalek, that may have have been said. Like I swear, some of this like Fury of a Time Lord, like yeah. it's come up before in the, in the new series too, not just in the classic series. Yeah, I've also absolutely. Seen all the classic series, but I feel like it's definitely come up at some point because they keep. And this is another thing that I, issue I had with the last episode, the first episode, is that they have this really interesting setup, and they brought back Davros and like, uh, oh, oh my god, oh my glob, to <laughs> quote LSP, um, that. It's like, oh, this, all, all this interesting stuff. Okay. Oh, but it's just the Daleks again. And we're just on Scarrow again. And we're going to do yeah. this exact same storyline we've done so many times before. Um, the notion it, that Davros's chair makes, it's like, he's just going to, like, okay, you got the chair. Why don't you just leave? And I also really, <laughs> really didn't like the, um, aha, we're in the TARDIS. Yeah, cuz, and I'm going to push a button on my sunglasses. And Though that they have used before. They've used. They've. Used, I don't like the not sunglasses. the sunglasses. I don't know. I, I like the sunglasses if they are a two episode thing. Mm-hmm. But he he better have a new sonic screwdriver by mid season. Well, or I know I'll be the, very grumpy. They've definitely rematerialized the TARDIS before because I know there's this one episode with I want to say the Fifth Doctor when they're underground and the TARDIS has been all like separated out and it's like these burrowing creatures and like it's a thing that they've done before. Yes. But the notion of the TARDIS just kind of dispersing into particles. The trouble is when you in, when you create these ideas that Moffat likes to, th- to throw in the mix. Every time from now on that they threaten to destroy the TARDIS, I won't believe them. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're like, okay, well, why can't they just like push a button on his thing? It'll just disperse. And we think it's been exploded, but it's just really dispersed in the air and we can't see it. And he'll push a button and it'll come right back. It removes any chance for any permanent stakes on this show, which robs it of any of its narrative urgency. 
I have a feeling Moffat, when confronted with an issue like that, is just waving his hand saying, they won't remember. (sighs) Which is funny, considering how invested the geek community who are Whovians are in this show and are in documenting every part of it. So at one hand, he's using our our extensive sense memory of the show to get really excited when the kid says his name is Devros. But then on the other hand, he's just inventing new rules and changing old ones and just, ah, whatever. Well, and he is that kind of fan, too. He is, yeah. The number of the number of references they constantly are throwing into the classic series, like even just last week, and three different forms of Atlantis, uh, <laughs> like which is so such a fun. That's the kind of thing that I love. It's just like a one line shout out that makes sense in the narrative and also allows me to remember fondly horrible, yeah. horrible episodes uh, set in fake Atlantis. But um, so, so to have that level of at times complete understanding of the fandom. And sheer uh, disregard for them or, or lack of respect for them. I just, I, it boggles the yeah. mind to me. So I like this much more than I expected to. Uh, I liked uh, certain elements. I thought the, I really liked when Clara was so distraught as the, as the, you know, cause clearly she's got some sort of like um, being encased kind of issue, the claustro- claustrophobia or yeah. something. Like I, I really thought Jenna Coleman killed that. I really nailed that performance when she's so wrecked after um, the, the, the Dalek opens up the, the Capaldi and Coleman's chemistry. There was, that was very good, but um, I just, I'm not, I, I, yeah, like you said, he has trouble sticking the landing and I'm, I'm really tired of the Moffat issues. So this has yeah. some of the Moffat issues. It doesn't have all the Moffat issues, there's only certain levels of giant reset buttons. Uh, yeah, that is. Well, you know, it's funny. Doctor Who is such a weird series because yeah. it's a series that despite probably on par, 50% of it is shitty. We love it. Yeah. We we give Doctor Who leeway that we won't give any other show ever. And amazingly, I think season eight we're in season nine now right Mm -hmm. season eight was probably the most consistent of new who across all the doctors simply because its number of shitty episodes was far far smaller i can only really name one that i hated and that's robots of sherwood i it was it was fairly consistent it did have for me. It had too many of the Moffatisms that robbed it mm. of any individuality. I would actually point to season four, uh, the Donna season. I think is okay. very strong. There, uh, there's always one weak one in there, but it, the, <laughs> that one I thought was had really strong narrative thrust. Uh, and in the case, it's just they didn't again didn't stick the landing. But um, right. but yeah, but the thing is that even when Doctor Who was just kind of a shitty kid show there's times when it's been a great kid show and there's times it's been just not very good yeah. um i could always enjoy the tone and the whimsy of okay. the series so there and it's had many different tones that's one of its great strengths is that it can be a gothic horror for three years and then turn into a screwball comedy for two years and then like with each producer and with each doctor you can have a different very different show the trouble i'm having with the moffat era era is that i don't like i don't really care about the tone of the show i don't like um the i I just feel um some combination of disrespected and uh talked down to Mm -hmm. by moffat through the doctor the doctor is many things but 
I don't think that he should be uh, dismissive of the audience. Okay. The way that like like things like this episodes, um, uh, pre like Moffat in this episode saying, "Yeah, I know you're gonna say where did he get the tea from, but shut up, you shouldn't ask that because right. I said so." Um, that really doesn't feel like the doctor, because the, do- the doctor isn't saying that to the Daleks because the Daleks don't care. That's Moffat talking to the the viewers, right. and that lack of understanding and appreciation of the fandom and that lack of respect. For the fa- for the people who keep the show on the air, um, really rubs me the wrong way. And just point like to point to the opposite of that is look at a show like Supernatural, which has its fair share of terrible episodes, but has a, you know has its two hundredth episode be like a love letter to fan fiction and slash fic and anything else, and just saying you you guys just you do you. Thank you for keeping <laughs> us on the air, and yeah. we're gonna keep trying our best. Um, so yeah, I, I have trouble with that element to the show, but I'm, I'm sorry. I feel like I've sucked all the joy out of no, our conversation. No, no. You know what? It's, it's, it's a weird thing. Like a uh, doctor who is like nothing else I've ever fallen in love with. Uh, this show mm-hmm. is so unique and it's exactly what you said. It's that it, it varies so dramatically from even from episode to episode. And that's wonderful. Um, I think, I think, What's really reinvigorated me on the show right now and what's allowed me to take uh, to accept Moffat's failings, which have gotten greater and greater every year he's worked on the show. I thought he was very tight in the first two years and then just sort of started spiraling. Mm -hmm. And um, but I think Peter Capaldi has brought something so unique to the show that we haven't seen in so long. And for me, it's wonderful to not have to worry about, okay, is it just going to be another companion falling in love with the doctor? Because while I love it when Rose did it, and I thought it was uh, even fine when uh, Martha Jones did it. It's uh, like how, why is Amy Pond in love with the doctor? Because she was in the first season. Yeah. And, it's, why is every per? Why is the doctor getting married to every person and yes. betting every famous historical figure? <laughs> and like, why is why can't they just have a show where? Yeah. They, and because Clara is also in love with the doctor, of course, sure. um, at various times, depending on which face and uh, what the story wants from her that week. Um, <laughs> but but why why can't this be? a jaded person trying to recapture understand wonder yeah through traveling around seeing the the universe with his best friend and that's Um, what i think capaldi is bringing mm -hmm. and you know he he is displaying a darkness to the doctor that we haven't seen since uh eccleston four i think i think even eccleston uh he got dark at times but i i i Eccleston gets the short shrift because he left. Yeah. So he didn't really season. get to develop. Yeah. And he had the higher shit per capita. Oh, yeah. Of, of any doctor. <laughs> you know, I just farting aliens come to mind. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Classic. Yes. Yes. But uh, I'm I'm so fascinated by Peter Capaldi's performance and by his willingness to dive in. And the hauntedness that he brings to it. And the fact that randomly he'll spout something that sounds like Jeff Murdoch from Coupling. 
which was mm-hmm. also written by Stephen Moffat. Yep. Um, so it's I I cannot imagine them doing anything in the next few seasons to kick me off as a viewer, but I am hoping that Capaldi just dis- not Capaldi that Moffat decides maybe he's had enough because I'd love to see another showrunner do Capaldi's Doctor Who. Yeah. Before he decides he's had enough. I would like to see a female showrunner brought in. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe a few more female writers. Any? Yeah. I'm Any? I'm fascinated that one of the first female directors, one of the few female directors is an American. Mhm. Who also directed Freddy's Dead, interesting and interestingly enough. I just find it very disingenuous when Moffat's like, if you guys could see the number of female writers that I've asked to come on the show and they just and they won't do it for some reason. It's like you're telling me there are no female writers who are good enough to write about Doctor Who who want to come on your show. First of all, that's bullshit. Mm. Second of all, maybe there's a reason none of them want to come on your show. Maybe you should look at the atmosphere in the writer's room and around the show that you've created that makes people turn down a job as as like if you if you write an episode of doctor who you're set on the convention circuit for your entire life (laughs) indeed don't tell me there aren't female geek writers out there who would salivate at the notion of being allowed to write a doctor who episode having that like who, who grew up loving the show that the notion that there just aren't any who you know like or that maybe there are but they aren't any good is just sexist and idiotic and shows a lack of an ima- of imagination so like I'll, I'll put an open ca- script call and i guarantee you they will yeah. come flooding in that's hey that's how brian fuller and jane espenson both started on star trek and i don't know about brian fuller but i do know jane espenson like she the way she started with with, with that is that they accepted all scripts yeah and that's you should start a campaign she... to get her to write for doctor right? because they'd oh, be yeah. amazing yep heaven forbid <laughs> but anyways, sorry, we've gone super long. I would ask what your wins your week and everything else, uh, but there was only one show uh, that was Doctor Who. Did you have any other shows that maybe were in contention this week, or is it just straight up Doctor Who for you? It's just Doctor Who. I'm catching up on so many hour longs. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I'm in the middle of the last season of Penny Dreadful, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, I just got past the the burning of the witch episode, and it was horrifying and and heartbreaking. And uh, Patty Lapone was amazing on it. Excited about um, her coming back next season. I am very Different much. Character, she's, but... she's wonderful, and oh yeah, she can give a gravitas to it that that would be delightful. Um, yeah, I, I'm Hannibal heart, broke my heart. No, mm-hmm. no, it, it's left a hole that I don't want to just fill <laughs> with another series, you know, because it's got to be it. Nothing is as good anymore. And mm-hmm. everyone's trying to get me to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I feel like I can't do 22 episodes of a drama anymore. Fair I enough. feel like there's there's going to be filler. Yeah. And I'm so used to now these wonderful shows on Showtime and HBO and and NBC, believe it or not, uh, that that do it in 13 or 10. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as as much as I hate the wait between seasons, that's really that's where most TV should be funneling, especially hour longs. Well, if you need suggestions, I can. I, you yes, up. absolutely. I, I, absolutely I need to finish Penny up. Dreadful and I need to finish. Orphan Black, because mm-hmm. we're midway through season three on that one, and that needs to be finished. Okay, well, let me know. Yes. I, I, I will, will give you a, a laundry list of interesting 
shows for you to check out. But now, I'll, oh, I guess for me, I will give it... Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm going to give it to Fear the Walking Dead this week, I guess. Uh, the torture caveat makes it a little tricky for me. But it's between that and the Amazing Race um, premiere. So that's where I'm going to throw my pick of the week so far, uh, or at least for this past week and everything but comedy. Uh, but now we're going to take a break, and we'll, we'll come back with our DVD shelf on Scrubs. Since I was a kid, I've been able to sleep through anything. Storms, sirens, you name it. Last night I didn't sleep. Since I was a kid, I've been able to sleep through anything. Storms, sirens, you name it. Last night I didn't sleep. I guess I get a little goofy when I'm nervous. You see, today isn't just any other day. It's my first day. I'm the man. How sometimes life can be so unpredictable. And if they had to do it all again. And four years of pre-med, four years of med school, and tons of unpaid loans have made me realize one thing. Good. Could you go drop an NG tube on the patient in 234 and call the attending if the lavage is positive? I don't know, Jack. I can't do this all on my own. No, I know. I'm no Superman. I'm no Superman. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kolzik, TV editor over at popoptic.com. And I'm joined once again by Cooper from Eat the Rootcast and Damn Fine Podcast and Life in the Swing Set, Swing Set and many other things. You're a very accomplished gentleman, sir. Um, but this week at the DVD shelf, we're talking about a show that is has a very uh, strong place in my heart, and that is Scrubs. Cooper, what made you want to talk about Scrubs this week? Well, I'm I'm just begun probably my seventh or eighth rewatch of the series this is one of my comfort food series uh friends is like that the office is like that both british and and u.s and it's one that i can put on and just binge and since it's on netflix it's easy i don't even have to get up to change discs anymore (laughs) um but it came to my attention during a Hannibal podcast, I believe <laughs> that Ophelia had not actually watched Scrubs straight through, you know, and she went to medical school and did all this stuff. So uh, for her to have not seen the world building that Scrubs does, because it really does have a better serialization than most sitcoms ever, um, it it was unacceptable. And I love really sharing a comfort food show with someone else is such a wonderful experience, as I'm sure you you know, just to be able to see it through their eyes, see it fresh. There's always the danger that they won't get it or yeah. they won't like it. Uh, yeah, very much which so. Which is not fun. But um, but if you if you know that it's a show that they're like prone to enjoy or has people that, that they like, um, then that that certainly helps. And yeah, getting to experience it's it's like we were talking about Doctor Who. You've experienced <laughs> it, uh, but getting to share that with somebody else and watching them discover the moments that you that you so love uh, are yeah. it's just it's really it's it can be a lot of fun, definitely. Well, this rewatch has been uh, probably the longest between watches for me. Mm-hmm. And so now going back to the first season, I'm seeing my mannerisms in characters. Oh, no. So <laughs> it's it's so deeply ingrained. Like I, I spent the first season wishing I could deliver impromptu monologues the way John C. McGinley does. 
And I realize I've actually picked up. Yes, I have picked up some of those, uh, for better or for worse, some of Dr. Cox's verbal and physical tics. Nice. It's a side effect of podcasting. You can't help it. It is. Yeah. It is. Yep. Uh, the the things that I love about Scrubs, um, there's a couple things I love about Scrubs. First of all, like I said earlier, it boggles my mind that this is such a under discussed or under mentioned show. It, it kind of gets sort of like an also ran where like, oh yeah, and I guess Scrubs would count for this category. Like when people are listing yeah. favorite medical shows or favorite sitcoms or favorite meta shows or whatever. It's and I, f- I feel like it really um, came on the early side of the silly comedy but with heart thing. Um, yeah. Which is something that Bill Lawrence, you know, is very good at and certainly has uh, like the shows that have kind of been in this vein or from this production company. I mean, with that, you have um, Cougar Town, but also then from Cougar Town comes a show like Enlisted with some of the same creative. So like there's like this sort of track of of American sitcoms that have that combination of wackiness, but with um, characters that are grounded enough that you can invest in the in the serial serious moments or the um the more emotional ho- moments and and having those grounded uh episodes when they do a full episode or even just a scene just heightens the the comedy and allows you to accept the wackiness uh, or the ridiculousness of certain characters all the more of uh, just really making this overall uh really delightful um, blend uh, uh, of tones so I, th- I think this is a show that first of all knew what it wanted to be from its pilot was yeah. very confident in its first season and and had a an, an embraced its tone and its world and had such a respect for all of its characters and for the most part made all of them feel like people even the janitor <laughs> you mean dr jan etor yeah dr jan etor uh, this is a show that respects its characters and also respects his audience and invites you to come play with them and i i really can you know this is a show that if an episode is on i won't always watch it but if i do i will almost always really have a good time and it's it is really a a new generation of mash it is mash is so well known for its its blend of really heart-wrenching drama and screwball comedy and what's what's really amazing you know when we were talking about doing this we talked about we both pulled out basically the same episodes as being pinnacles and um what's amazing about those two episodes because i rewatched them again today and it's the the utter stupidity of the wackiness that then it it creates a much higher cliff for you to fall off of into the uh, heart-wrenching sadness. Yeah, and we should say what those are. And I think anybody yes. listening to a Scrubs segment will immediately go to my screw-up, which yeah. is uh, the, the way that the that Bill Lawrence, I think it was Bill Lawrence, or it might have been um, some of the other like, executive producers of the show talking about this, it, or as they call it, uh, it's been a while since The Sixth Sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which I just love. Um, when I think of best one-off character, or like, not one-off, because of course Brenda Fraser was on several times, but like best single episodes um, of of a show, or dramatic performances in a comedy, or guest characters uh, with memorable send-offs, I always go 
to my screw up, which is, of course, the episode. Um, should we not say in case people no, we we seen? we should okay. Here, here's what like what do I do a lot on on my other shows is okay. If you have not seen my screw up, recognize that it is probably the greatest surprising episode of comedy in TV history. Go put it on Netflix right now and come back. Yeah. It's really good, guys. I know we're hyping we, it a lot, but we need can... to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, and and you can't really talk about what's amazing about it without discussing what's it. amazing about it. Yeah, yeah. So can okay. we assume they've done that? I think, I think we can. I think we're good now. Okay, man. Oh my god, this episode! I show this to everybody who has even the vaguest inkling of being curious about Scrubs or just uh, people I want to show amazing writing to. And this is the episode where Brendan Fraser's character dies. Off and screen. He dies off screen and he dies where we don't think he did die. Yeah. And I, I took extensive notes on this rewatch because I wanted to really nail down when it happens. And there's a code eight minutes in that we're meant to think is JD's um, heart patient. And that's when it happens. Yeah. Because after that, Brendan Fraser, who says he'll wear his camera till the day he dies, is no longer wearing his camera. Yeah. And and, and there's, there's just like slight changes in the tone of the other performances, too. Yeah. Um, that you don't pick up on because you're very much in um, you're very much in the Cox perspective for for the episode. Um, you start out with J.D., but then like. Because Cox is all worried about his son, and he forgot him at school, and like there's other stuff going on. He's upset with with Ben, um, for for not following his medical advice, um, mm. and so you're so wrapped up in, in in that that you don't understand what's happening. And and they do such a fantastic job of holding you in the hand and then letting your hand gently go. Yeah. With Zach Braff's, because everybody talks about McGinley because he's amazing. And and throughout the episode, and specifically in the turn and at the very end, I'm just choking up thinking about it here. Yeah. Um. But th- he's also handed that moment through Zach Braff's delivery of "Where do you think we are?" Yeah. It it and <laughs> I'm getting it too. Yeah. It's it's amazing when you see a moment that is this uh, goosebump inducing on television in in a drama, no less a comedy. Yeah. Uh. But. Scrubs has never been afraid of showing us what loss looks like. And that's what makes it a show with real stakes. Yeah. Because people do die on this show. And this guy who has leukemia, the last time we saw him, it makes sense that he might die if he hasn't been following up on his treatment. But to to take that walk where we're thinking we're going to a kid's birthday party and then be dumped into the despair of oh no you're at the funeral of this character that you very much like mm-hmm. because he's like a fun version of dr cox he's a dr cox who's not a dick <laughs> yeah and it's it's heartbreaking and beautiful uh and it's some of the finest um you know, it's weird, but it's some of the finest funeral performances I've ever seen mm-hmm. because, you know, you see Tara Reed and you see, um, oh, I can't pull her name off Krista the top Miller? of my head. 
Yes, Krista Miller, who I love, uh, just sitting there wrecked by the death of their brother. And we just learned about it a moment ago. Yeah. And just straight up ugly cry. Just yeah. hideously ugly cry. Because that's what's right in that scene, in that moment. And what what is also great about that is that it, my script gets so much attention, and deservedly so, because it's amazing. Um, but the next episode, the very next episode, because Cox is the main character and his wife is the supporting character, who's, you know, a very prominent figure on the show, but she's not in every episode, you know. Right. We're so in Cox's perspective that they, they this is a show that could easily rinse, wash, rinse, repeat. Because people die on the show, but this is death is a part of these people's lives because they are doctors and that's what happens. People die. Not everybody. They can't save everybody. That's how it works. Um, and so we're so in his perspective that we aren't thinking at all about her perspective. This isn't just her friend. This is her brother. And the show really, again, it respects them as people and as, as it lets them have a grieving period a mourning period and the show yeah. isn't quite the same for a while it takes cox a while to fe- to to kind of recover and that's absolutely appropriate there are other times where we have very affecting um patient deaths on the yeah. show and and the doctors like by the end of the episode or in in the next episode to shake it off or it kind of it um it, it kind of sneaks up on them after like they've had a few you know, hard losses um, that leads to something else. But, um, but in, for one like this, um, uh, for a, a death like this, it, they really give it the time that it, it, it should have. A line that really struck me this time is when Dr. Cox is saying he, he's not interested in going to parties where the guest of honor has no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that is a funeral. Um, it's, Scrubs has time and time again sold us a bill and then pulled it away and said, oh, that's not really what I've given you. You know, there was the episode where they talk about one, um, one out of every three patients will die who comes into the hospital. And at the end of the episode, all three die. When And this other episode, My Philosophy, is one of my favorite episodes, um, really simply for the, the amazing Colin Hay song it introduced me to at the end, Waiting for My Real Life to Begin. And Colin Hay was a presence on the show in season one um, with uh, Overkill. And he actually showed up on the show and he he's used to sing in Toto, didn't he? Mm-hmm. That's I, Col- okay. I'm not sure. I just know him as like the troubadour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he's uh, this this song. OK, so the episode, it sells us this bill that the, there's a couple in the hospital and she's got a heart issue and she's having a baby and one of them's going to die. And then meanwhile, there's a heart patient who comes in a lot so much so that she's not wearing a hospital gown. She's wearing her chenille robe and she's got a rapport with Dr. Cox and a rapport with JD. And they talk about death and how she's just there waiting for a heart. So we think, Oh, well, the, the woman's probably going to die, but maybe they'll be able to give the heart to her. And and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but we're willing to go with it because we really want um, Elaine to survive this. And when she doesn't, when all is said and done, it's surprising because both of the people, one of the people we thought were going to die makes it. 
And then, oh, she's coding. And it transitions into this beautiful, um, her idea of what death would be like was a Broadway musical. And so as she lies there dying, the spotlight comes up in a very Twin Peaksian way, in fact. And she's standing there in a ball gown and she sings, waiting for my real life to begin. Any minute now, my ship is coming in it now. It's, it's so much about that realism of this show that people die in the hospital. And if, if everyone got away with it, it wouldn't be a show. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be realistic ever. Well, and it's not about being realistic. uh, It's not about being a realistic show. It's about being emotionally realistic. And that's true to itself. Yeah. But just like true to what it feels like. Mm -hmm. It's not interested in matching the mundane world is interested in conveying its 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 expressionism what does it feel like to be in this in this world and to to be surrounded constantly by the craziness of a hospital and that's why when you talk to doctors and you talk to nurses what is the most realistic show about like doctors and medicine and stuff um at least according to the two ER doctors, uh, or two doctors with ER experience, I should say, let's be accurate, who came on the podcast a while back, go to popoptic.com slash DVD hyphen shelf hyphen library, library, I should say, to find their segment. It's up, it's up at the website. Um, the two, they said, were ER, and even really more than that is scrubs. This is yeah. what it feels like. This is, you know, like the rapport with the doctors and the nurses and with the different like surgery and medical, like this is what it feels like. And so to, to really to, to eschew realism in favor of emotional truth 
is a, a change, a trade I will happily take any day of the week. Yes. Yeah, I, it's it's something I can always go back to. And when it sneaks up on you, if you're binge watching, when my philosophy or um, or uh, my screw up sneaks up on you or any of the number of other emotionally hard hitting episodes, it's always been a case like I can be working and cleaning. Uh, it happened just before my Christmas party last year. I was rearranging my my basement, so I had scrubs on in the background, and my screw up came on, and I just sat there and bawled. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the few shows that, one of the few of any media, that no matter how many times I see it, it still hits me in the same way. And I think that indicates a sort of trueness that a lot of emotional moments don't have. Uh, but seeing John McGinley with with his eyes red and his tear dried tear streak face, it's so affecting. Yeah, uh, but you're right. Hugely oh. puffy face. Yeah, that's what just... crying looks like. Man. Was, that's what sobbing looks like. We need to talk about happy episodes. So I'm going to start <laughs> crying okay. here. So uh, uh, I'm just going to give a shout out to my old lady with Catherine Justin, uh, aka yeah. Mrs. Landingham. Season one, episode four. They were already doing this by episode four. This is a show that knew itself. Do you have any other emotional shout outs you want to make? Uh, the the only really other. Um, well, I just rewatched the finale also. And by finale, I mean the season eight finale, because that is when Scrubs ended. The finale the, of Scrubs as yes. opposed to the one season of Scrubs, the new class. <laughs> I, I call it after Scrubs, just like yeah. after MASH. It's not as good and vaguely similar. But um, that ends again with a brilliant musical moment as J.D. walks down the hallway full of people he's met, including... Uh, now all I can think is Mrs. Landingham from West Wing. <laughs> uh, and it's, again, just just so affecting. Miss Tracy is the other patient mm-hmm. that always comes up. She's the one that had the instant connection with Elliot. And um, when when Dr. Cox and J.D. run into her in the grocery store, and it's clear she's suicidal and has problems, but they don't recognize the symptoms and that's another just really really real thing Mm -hmm. i also feel like this show does relationships more real than any other i've seen you know jd is such a fascinating character for his relationships in that he's realistic in that he wants what he can't have but then when he gets it he realizes maybe he doesn't actually want it and what and, he wanted was not the person, but the idea yes. of what the relationship would be. Yeah. Yeah. And they play it. You know, it's not like other shows where they'll just let it. Uh, it's like, oh, I didn't really want that. And so, okay, now they're broken up. They let it go. And the fact that he and um, Elliot get together and split apart and get together and split apart so often, but also have very realistic other relationships, uh, it really really works so well to me i was so disappointed when they got them together in the end mm-hmm. i was so disappointed because really? yeah well i know this i guess I mean, are you a shipper with them i've uh, i've always loved them together yeah fair enough but i just i really liked the where they had settled on you know it's possible for men and women 
to just be friends and oh, to have a true. really strong relationship and, and mean a lot to each other, but be like, you know, we don't work as a couple or we're not interested in each other. Um, and there's this rule of television that that can't happen because the only interesting <laughs> thing to do with uh, two characters who would feasibly be sexually attracted to each other is to get them together. Um, so I was very, I really liked where they had set, where they had settled into that relationship they had settled into. And it felt like, it just I, and it probably it's more a me thing I think than the show thing, but it it felt like they were like, well, now let's say that that was all lies and secretly they wanted to get back together anyways. Uh, but I think it's just because that type of relationship is so underrepresented on television, sure. or at least was until like last year was a banner year for platonic friendships on it TV. It was indeed. But um, so I was a little underwhelmed, but they they they're really they're good together and it worked out. I you know if I can let go of that need for underrepresentation it was a fun you know like they do work well together so to talk about happier things yes can we talk about the music oh absolutely it has one of the best original soundtracks for a first season that's for sure and not even just that but musical moments this is a show that yes has a very good soundtrack but it it knows how to use music it in does. such a fantastic way. Of course, there's the musical, which is delightful. Uh, a surgeon and a doc above <laughs> Above all. it all. It's but that's not from the musical. No, that's not. That's from their separate one-off episode. Uh, <laughs> or the, Yeah, with the West Side Story and, like, mm -hmm. you know, Skylove. But, um, but also, uh, the you know, they had the Clay Aiken episode, the sitcom yes. for, you know, My Life in Four Cameras. Um, and, and even just their use of, of music for... Um, editing along to it you you mentioned the colin hayes when he shows yeah. up and that's a really fun sequence or i mean come on you've got the the, the worthless peons ted yes. band and, and it's wonderful underdog and the facts of life and um Somewhere charles the in Rainbow. charge yes N those songs have never sounded so good <laughs> never as as, as done by the worthless peons. Then there's also, of course, the the, the uh, just recurring bits like um, the air band and yes. uh, like poison mm -hmm. <laughs> and the various, you know. Oh, yeah. Poison talked dirty to me in season one. Um, erasure, mm -hmm. uh, a little respect. Uh, are you having a good time? That brilliant uh, musical. And this this is all season one there. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite musical moment in the whole show is um, when when somebody points out that uh, JD's having uh, sad music in his head, and he says, "To me, it always sounds like." And then immediately they play that musical uh, transition that they have played so many times on the show afterwards. It's it's wonderful. Yep. Yeah. How about Kate, Kate McCucci as oh, yeah. uh, Ukulele Girl? As, uh, that is Ted's where girlfriend. I discovered Kate McCucci and, and then found the wonderful Garfunkel and Oates. Uh, it just, <laughs> yeah. She is one of the, you know, towards the end, it gets kind of overblown and repetitive like most sitcoms do. One thing that I think is unique to Scrubs is. Half of season six and most of season seven gets kind of shitty, but they really brought it back for season eight. Yeah, and, they ended strong. Yeah, they did. And that's so unique for a show to to come back from missteps, to recognize your missteps. And it was specifically Bill Lawrence saying, we want to get back to 
the first few seasons and what they felt like. And he didn't like, uh, the the thing that really has always impressed me, you know, we talked about Brendan Fraser as a guest star, is the guest stars on this show are wonderful also. We just watched the episode with Dick Van Dyke, mm-hmm. and they gave him, I mean, they play to the, the actor's strength, so they gave him a musical moment, a dance moment, a physical pratfall moment, and then some drama, because he can do all that. Yep. You know, And Michael J. Fox is yep. really who I thought of, yep brilliant on this show and really leans in to his disease and lets himself uh not not try to downplay um parkinson's yeah and instead use that as part of this character who has crippling ocd and again he has he's he's played as a comedian uh, it's fun it's fun and then there's real stakes to it when we realize he can't go home because he's still got to wash his hands again. Yeah. Um, I always go to, I mean, talking comedically, uh, uh, Chris Maloney is just oh, yeah. like yeah. one of my favorites. This was the first thing I saw him be comedic in because I saw this before I saw Wet Hot American Summer. Um, okay. And so I just knew him <laughs> as that guy from SBU. I was like, when he started doing the thing with the puppet, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's so good. <laughs> and uh, the other thing I love about the guest cast uh, on the show is that frequently they're like better here than I've seen them be anywhere else, or at least oh, better yeah. used. Um, I mean, you mentioned Tara Reid earlier, but I think she's great. I think she's so much fun she on is. the show. Mandy Moore as well. Mm-hmm. She, Mandy Moore also amazing. And of course, one of the all time great and all time traumatic episodes of Grey's Anatomy. So she can be good in drama too, but she's very good here. Oh, you mean Grey's Anatomy, the show that scrubs, but an hour long drama. Uh, conversation for another time, but uh, but no, there, but there's a lot of really fun. There's a lot of really fun casting here. Um, yeah, John like, Ritter, Tom Cavanaugh, Freddie I, Rodriguez. You're man, reading my it, mind. You're yeah. reading my mind here. Um, are there other? Uh, are there other elements? You talked about the relationships, and yes, all the the couplings that they bring in for JD and Elliot work really well. But I also really really appreciate the way that they handle Turk and Carla. This is a yes. show that takes the notion, oh, you can't actually get the couple together and just like laughs their ass off, uh, stops, gets a glass of water, drinks it, and then laughs some more. <laughs> well, they have real, real relationship issues. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful to see a couple who can be happy together and can weather relationship issues. They... Like, Carla not saying yes to the proposal was a ballsy move for a TV show because you didn't see that coming. You did not. Um, so they, they get together. They get they end up getting engaged. They get married. Then uh, they have a kid. And mm. then they, there's they deal with uh, they talk about postpartum depression and the, the conversation. Do I go back to work? Do I not? What does that mean? Yeah. What does it say about me as a as a person if I do or do, do not want to go back to work? Um, and, like they, they they follow this this couple over eight years of a show. Of course, they're dramatically different. They're in a dramatically different part of their lives when they, when it finishes than when it starts. And when when it starts, they're how old are they? When if they're if they're getting starting their they're just out of residency. med school, yeah. So um, that would be what eighteen plus seven twenty five. Let's go with that. Four for college and three for med school, and then they're starting their internships and rotations. So yeah, twenty five ish through twenty five, twenty six 
through mid 30s and if you're getting married and having kids that's a huge change in who you are yeah. as a person so i really like that the show reflects that and really is very comfortable like this is a show that would like has its two central romantic pairings uh of one that keeps spiraling back into the same place uh mm-hmm. and going around the same path which is jd and Elliot, and one that is confidently moving forward and that's turk and carla and i think they do a good job with both of them and we got to talk about we already mentioned guy love we got to talk about the bromance because oh, I also yeah. really enjoy <laughs> well, Tur- Turk and JD's relationship. They have, I mean, it's it's great because they're. It's often played for comedy, but they're they're very well rounded characters. Like at the beginning of my philosophy, um, is is when Turk decides to propose, and so JD talks about how what you have to do is put flower petals and candles everywhere, and Turk says yes. Because the flower petals represent love. And, and then Carla says, what are you guys talking about? And JD says, oh, guy talk, you know, bitches and hoes. <laughs> it's, the, it's a real affectionate relationship between two men. And you see that so much in the finale that I just watched, where every time they see each other, they give each other a huge hug because every last moment at this hospital needs to be about their awesome relationship. And Carla asked JD, will my husband ever love me as much as he loves you? And JD <laughs> says, that's eh, probably about the same. That's pretty good. She's, I mean, that's, that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. And uh, I mean, <laughs> when you think of, when I think of the show, one of the things I really, really immediately think of it, that I key into it, and part of why it works so well for me is sincerity. Yes. This is a very sincere show. And when you have a main character like Dr. Cox, who's constantly sarcastic, that helps to keep that from getting treacly. But with the JD and Turk relationship, that sincerity is always there. It's always at the core. Once they get the, the show fully embraces that friendship, and I'm sure it helped that Zach Braff and Donald Faison are apparently like, they are best besties in real, in real yeah. life. Like, they are that close. They are that good of friends in real life. But... This is a show that from every everything about it feels sincere. They they want to put on a show. They want you to be entertained. They want it to be good. They want it to be meaningful. They want it to be funny. Uh and they don't care that you can that we can, they they they're happy, happy to let you see that they care and that they want you to enjoy yourself. Yeah. It's not too cool for school, I guess. No, then it's it sort of relentlessly leans into the dorkiness of its lead characters. Mm-hmm. And that is so rare on a show where people are being shown as competent at what they're doing for them to also be um, so flight of fancy driven and just downright dorky like yeah. J.D. is. They start out dorky and then by season three... They've got fabulous hair and new wardrobes and and like and sweet new houses. Yeah. By the end of the season, they're like, "Oh, you're such a dork." You're like, "No." <laughs> if you ever were, you aren't. And maybe some of that keys into what feels like the actual energy of some of these actors who they they feel like they're dorks. I don't know if they are, but they're very believable yeah. <laughs> in their unguarded moments. As I think when they're casting, they really they cast the show very, very well because there is not a weak link in this cast. And it's a no, it's a not small cast. Well, and they also uh, were able to sort of promote from within so well 
because so many of these minor characters that became major characters, like Ted, mm-hmm. had such small roles in the beginning, but then grew into much larger parts. And Neil Flynn is one of the most amazing contributions. Neil Flynn plays the janitor who doesn't even have a name until the, again, series finale, that is season eight's series finale. Um, but from everything I've read, he almost never has lines in the script. Basically, it's J.D. and the janitor interact. And they just go because Neil Flynn is an improv comic. He actually came from Chicago. He's a Chicago comic, yep. And uh, he's he, he's so good and so menacing at times. And um, one of my favorite Neil Flynn moments is when J.D. is watching The Fugitive. And Neil Flynn is in the fugitive as yeah. the cop on the uh, on the L car who says, "Dr. Kimball, stop." And JD thinks he's figured out why the janitor is so different with everyone is because he's an actor. <laughs> and uh, uh, Neil Flynn says, "Oh yeah, I'm an actor. I just do this for fun on on the side." But then at the end of the episode, he says, "Dr. Kimball, stop." And points his finger guns at JD, and it's, it's so brilliant using uh, an actor's other roles to build characters even further beyond the screen. Yeah, that's always fun when shows find a way to organically put that in, like um, yeah. like Seinfeld with uh, Kramer. Uh, that that when he when the actor was on Murphy Brown. Yes, as one of the seconds they they work that in. Um, they, I, yeah, this the, it's always fun when they can they can have that sense of humor and and make that really work for the show. And I mean, yes, obviously, most anybody who's listening will agree that they over relied on the janitor at certain parts in the run. This is yes. not a perfect. This is a show that ran for eight seasons as well as a spinoff ninth season. Yeah, of course, there are times when they didn't get everything right, where they over relied on. Uh, you know certain storylines and certain dynamics and then but they most of the time they had the good sense to kind of then back away from it but like the janitor is a character that you can accept in his occasional dramatic moments and who also has a squirrel army <laughs> he does and he marries lady yeah and you're like when, when that happens you're like super com- you're like super committed and you're yeah. absolutely on board for the janitor <laughs> to be happy no it's wonderful well do we we're come, approaching the end of our time and there's a yeah. lot more we could talk about with scrubs I think everybody needs to give at least these two episodes a watch and while yes they do spoil a twist it's still it's going to make you want to go back and watch it and for at least I'm going to say probably 85 to 90% of this show's run, it was firing on almost every cylinder and really showed me what sitcoms can do. Yeah. And this is a show that is unabashedly a sitcom. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it embraces so many tropes of the style it, while also maintaining a core of, of its own identity that is really uh, very compelling. It also... Uh, it, it 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 adopts different structures. It adopts different um, approaches. It it does like, every season. They did one like very special episode. So you have the Wizard of Oz episode, which is it, that shouldn't be effective. It shouldn't work. <laughs> By the time like the janitor has painted his shoes red and and like they're going so blatantly on the like having direct quotes from the th- it shouldn't work. But because they commit to it so fully, yeah. 
and because everything about like it's so within like true to character it's not a stretch at all it feels very organic you're you're very happy to go along on this journey with them through this episode they have the 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 fantasy one where the 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 uh, elliot's the princess and the uh, the janitor is the ogre um they, they they do the musical they do the the four camera sitcom episode they do a different one of those every season just about and they almost all work uh this is a show that Again, it wears its heart on its sleeve. It's there to, to hope that you have a good time, but it also is not afraid of pathos, and it's not afraid to uh, it's not afraid to pull the rug out and then gently welcome you back in. Any other f- favorite episodes, favorite moments? We haven't said eagle. <laughs> oh man. Um... I love when Dr. Kelso seems like he's going to tell a nice story and then either says, I don't like you, or in the one we were watching today, back when I was a resident, I remember blah, 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 nostalgic story, get out. <laughs> um, yeah, Ted, and, and when he says, you know, an office reflects uh, the person, and Ted's sitting there and a water droplet hits his bald head, and he takes off his clip-on tie to wipe it, um, <laughs> I feel like we should name drop uh, Sarah Chalk, Ken, Jenning, uh, yes. Ken Jenkins, and Judy Reyes, who we ha- we haven't specifically mentioned by name, but of course Just Sarah Chalk is wonderful. so good as Elliot, and Jenkins and so, so dramatically good as different from her first episode. Yeah, Elliot's the only one who wasn't born as the character, but in episode two, she has already morphed into uh elliot which is wonderful um uh, doug murphy as as nervous guy i think no no <laughs> doug is the name of nerve yes yeah. doug is the name of the character it's johnny is, castle yeah. yeah uh nervous guy who winds up working in the morgue because he keeps killing patients <laughs> which was such a good fit for him i'm glad that they found a place it was and the todd I mean, we we had to mention the banana hammocks at least yeah. once. Who found some swingers late in the series and and seems to be very happy. Yeah. Uh, uh, and oh, Elizabeth Banks and Heather Graham. I think this was the f- the first work I ever saw from Elizabeth Banks was on on this show. Mm-hmm. And Heather Graham, I knew from Swingers and uh, Twin Peaks, but it was great to see her here. Oh, I think we could just we could just talk keep- about things all day a running but but dr cox john mckinley it's one of the greatest characters i think in sitcom history he is so great at hitting the the sarcastic notes the funny notes and the dramatic notes and for an actor who got most of his early work playing heavies or working with oliver stone it's really an amazing thing to see him here, and a lot of our a lot of the listeners will know him as one of the Bobs from Office Space, but his performances on Scrubs are unparalleled. Yeah, um, I do think Judy Reyes plays a big part in the show. She's wonderful, yeah. As as Carla, a lot of the glue there, um, and uh, I also just want to mention we're not talking really about the last season of the show, but. Uh, remember when we were like, oh, why don't they have the real cast there? Let's just a quick reminder of who they cast to center the, the spinoff show, what they intended to be a spinoff. Yeah. Uh, that would be few people you might have heard of. Carrie Bichet, 
who is killing it on Hold and Catch Fire. And Eliza it's great Coop, in general. You yeah. might have heard of her from all the amazingness. So happy endings benched. <laughs> a little guy named Dave Franco. Yeah. Maybe you heard of him. Michael Mosley, also very good. Like, the, like this, this, it's. It I was close. Like, they had such. It was not the right show. People wanted it to be Scrubs, yeah. and it wasn't Scrubs. And they, I think they needed to take a little, like, a step further away from Scrubs to, like, be their own thing. Yeah. But that's a really good cast that they, unfortunately, weren't quite able to make work. Uh, but it should have. And anybody who gives, like, I used to have a different perspective on shows overstaying their welcome. But... But but Bill Lawrence changed my mind on that because I listened to an interview with him once and and uh, he was talking basically what he said and it was I think it was either in relation to this last season of Scrubs, or in relation to Cougar Town, uh, was that basically over a hundred and hundred twenty people work on this show, so yeah maybe he should have ended after season eight, but he's not going if if he can keep the show on the air and keep those hundred and twenty people employed he's going to yeah. do it. And after I heard him talking about that, I was like, you know what? This is people's lives. This is people's liveli- livelihood. If 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 they if ABC wants to bring the show back, or you know, because that was when it changed networks, of course. I I can I can't fault a guy a person for thinking about the realities of his employees and putting that above maybe the most creatively fulfilling way to end the show. Absolutely. So that's I guess that's my final thought. I think people just are too harsh on Scrubs: The New Class. Well, uh, you know, actually, if you've never seen Scrubs, watch the new class and then go back and watch the, ori- the, the original show. The problem was it, it followed an episode called My Finale. Yeah. That ended the show. And then J.D. was back. If J.D. and, and uh, Turk had not been on the show, you know, yeah. keep one or two members of the old cast, but really recast then I think it would have fared much better. But having those two on it, but not on the whole season, that was the death knell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's a what if. That that show with uh, slight tweaks is a could have been a very interesting thing. But Indeed. That's not but you know greedy. you've got we, eight seasons of, of yeah. really good. Of really good. So I think that's a good place to end our Scrubs sure. discussion. Thank you so much oh, for coming goodness. on the podcast, Cooper. Always a pleasure. Where can listeners find you and your work online? Uh, you can find me at coopersbeckett.com. And at uh, I run the Swingset FM network. Uh, it's a network of podcasts about sexuality and some geeky stuff. Really, I was doing sex education and, and uh, entertainment podcasts and then really wanted to do a podcast about Hannibal because it was amazing. <laughs> And I was listening to your podcast, and I thought, well, that sounds like fun. And so um, I started a, a network for it. But uh, most of my work is probably pretty sexual. So I'm not going to say just go out and follow me on Twitter. But if you want to, it's Cooper S. Beckett. Um, I just wrote a book called My Life on the Swing Set, Adventures in Swinging and Polyamory, which is about non-monogamous lifestyles. Uh, and, but the, the two things you might really care about are, are damn good podcast about Twin Peaks. You can find that at damngoodpodcast.com or at Pop Optic. It's a co-production. Very exciting. And, uh, the Eat the Rudecast podcast, which unfortunately is coming to an end because Hannibal came to an end, but we're extending it as long as we possibly can by now, uh, reviewing each of the films in the lecture series. 
and we just produced an insane four-hour episode about Silence of the Lambs. So, you know, if that floats your boat, well, there you go. And that's <laughs> eattherootcast.com. Our, our listeners, uh, yeah, I've... I put them like last week. It was a three-hour televerse, uh, so <laughs> they, they're 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 sturdy podcast listeners. Hardy they can, folk. They're hardy folk. They can they can handle it. Um, yeah, and of course, always love Eat the Rude Cast. Always love damn good podcast, and it is a damn good podcast. Um, and it's again, it's always it's always a pleasure, Cooper. Um, listeners can find me at Pop Optic, uh, where I'm currently reviewing Doctor Who, and uh, of course. There's a few podcasts when when uh, when Walking Dead starts back up, we'll start back up the the Pop Optic uh, Walking Dead podcast. So that'll be. Oh, I'm not ready to go back to having two podcasts a week, man. I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah, Anyways, it's, it's a lot of work. It's so much work. You understand this. Some I of our do. listeners understand this. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at the Televerse. I love hearing from you guys there. You can email the Televerse at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. You can like us to follow follow the the, the site there and, and, and start up a conversation. And, of course, we're in iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And we would love to have more reviews there. It's been a while. And uh, it does always – when a review pop up, pops up, it's like, oh, somebody – Huh? People listen. I I just kind of assume no one listens. Is that is that what's like for you? Because that's what's oh, like yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. Until they complain endlessly. <laughs> that's true. There is that. But hey, we love it, right? Yes. We love it. Um, well, again, once more, thank you, Cooper, for coming on. My pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. When criminals in this world appear and break the laws that they should fear and frighten all who see or hear, the cry goes up both far and near for underdog, 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 underdog. With speed of light, of lightning, roar of thunder, fighting all who rob or plunder, underdog.